0: Uh, verses 1 through 2. This is the verse that our children have been working on this week and uh, performed, I suppose, or recited uh, in their children's worship uh, this morning. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, forever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are King. You are God. This is our new city catechism. This is question 48. What is the church? God chooses and preserves for himself a community elected for eternal life, and united by faith, who love, follow, learn from, and worship God together. God sends out this community to proclaim the gospel and prefigure Christ's kingdom of the quality of their lives together and their love for one another. Can you pray with me? Dear Lord, we are so thankful for this morning. Lord, I know that being Easter Sunday, that our churches are full, filled more today than other times of the year. But to be honest, Lord, we're not doing anything different than we do every Sunday, which is to worship and praise our Lord and King Jesus Christ who rose from the dead. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we need holidays like Easter to remind us, Lord, but... Lord, we are a church and a people because Christ rose from the dead. There would be no reason to come next Sunday if Christ did not rage from the dead. This is not a social club. It's not a building uh, for people who have nothing better to do with their lives. So they come on Sunday morning to have coffee and to dress up and to sing songs and hear someone speak from a book but that we are here because, Lord, you have saved us and redeemed us and that you have risen from the dead to give us hope. So we come together to worship you, to celebrate what you have done and what you are doing and will do. Lord, I want to encourage us from the words of the Apostle Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Lord, thank you. Lord, I pray that this morning that for those of of here who maybe it's the first time they've been to Redeemer, maybe it's the first time in a while they've been in church, may they feel welcome, may they feel loved. May you draw them closer to yourself this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Our passage is from uh, the book, the Gospel of John, verse 14. We have it up here for you. And I'll just read from the screen so you can follow along better starting in verse 1 of chapter 14 of John. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you, will all, may, all be, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is God's word for his people. Um, I just wanted to tell you this, that when, when Robert and, and the worship band uh, you know, get together and, and practice our songs and the songs that we do on Sunday morning, it's not some random thing where they just kind of like, have have words in a bucket and they just pick out songs at random um there is a there is a uh, an order to this that robert gets the text that we're going to preach from he reads the text he studies the text and he picks songs that go along with the text from john 1 john 14 1 through 6 the liturgy and the responsive readings are not some random verses that he's kind of picked out but they're verses that go along with what we're talking about from the sermon and so it's one of those funny things where, like, I've been studying throughout the week, and I'm like, you know, there's a song that would really go well with this. Um, I don't want to, like, tell Robert what songs to do, but I want to encourage him maybe to think about maybe doing the song if he's, he's open to it. And I said, would you be willing to do, Oh Lord, That Will Not Let Me Go? And he's, he kind of laughed and said, well, that's, I've already had that song prepared to do this morning. So that was an awesome. It doesn't always happen, but it is always cool that he kind of is led by the Spirit to pick a song that I also think would go well With the text, and so I wanted to introduce this song a little bit. You've already sang it. You've you followed along in the lyrics. And if you've been to Redeemer before, you've heard the song before. You notice that we changed the line in the song. The song goes, "I trace the rainbow through the rain," but actually, the, the the original author of that piece did not write that lyric. He wrote, "I climb the rainbow." in the rain. And that's the actual the title for the sermon today, I Climb the Rainbow in the Rain. And he, when he wrote the song, when he wrote the hymn, the, the Church of Scotland actually didn't like it. They, they wanted to change it to I Trace the Rainbow in the Rain, which is actually what you typically sing in that song. And that was not the original line by George Matheson. I didn't know much about George Matheson when I was reading about him this week, but George Matheson was a a pastor in the 19th century. And he actually went blind. And his poor poor sister helped him get through school. She would read. She actually studied Hebrew and Greek so that he could also read it as well because he couldn't see it. So she learned the languages as he was studying to become a pastor. So he spent a lot of time with his sister when he was blind. And then on June the 6th, 1882, his sister got married. And he was sad. I mean, obviously, he was excited that his sister got married, but he was sad for obvious reasons because his sister, who helped him so much in the ministry, was now being married, just got married, and therefore would not be able to help him at the level that she had it before. And so, with this sadness, he had this deep sadness, and so he wrote this hymn it's a beautiful hymn, talking about enduring suffering and having hope in suffering. And obviously, he, he is, he's dealing with this anxiety and this fear. How is he going to continue to do the ministry? How is he continue going, going to be able to work without his sister? And so he has this fear. He has this anxiety. He has this lack of confidence. So he writes this hymn. He actually wrote this hymn in five minutes. It's beautiful Beautiful in five minutes he had this this fear and this anxiety, and God gave him such peace to write this hymn and talk about the hope that he has by thinking about a rainbow. He saw a rainbow before he went blind, and so he remembered the rainbow and he remembered the story of, of, of Noah and the flood and how God gave them a rainbow to remind them and to promise them that he would not destroy the earth again with a flood, so the rainbow signified. Promise from God, and he thought of that rainbow, and he thought about the promises of God and the hope that he had in God, and so he was encouraged. He was joyful, even though he was saddened by his sister's marriage. James Black, who was commenting on George Matheson in this song, says, It's more silly to think Matheson tracing that rainbow through the rain. His eyes were shut forever. But in his own find, he touched it. He could grasp it and climb it. God's rainbows are not to be traced, but climbed. God's promises are meant to be climbed. To grab hold on, to embrace... Climbing the rainbow is claiming the promises of God. It's an active, passive, positive choice we make. It's an activity of the will. Claiming these promises one by one, grasping their contemporary meaning, living in their assurances, and believing God is what climbing the rainbow really means. So I want to talk about the glories of our heavenly hope are rooted in the redemptive acts of the past. Sealed today in the spirit and prepared by Christ for tomorrow. Purpose is I want to explain the hope of heaven is rooted in the character of God. To explain the hope of heaven in Christ is sufficient for all. To motivate Christians to have hope from the redemptive act of the past. To motivate Christians to have hope from the present realities. And to motivate Christians to have hope from what is to come. On Tuesday, for some of y'all who weren't able to be here, we talked about the cross the suffering that Christ experienced on the cross. Not only just physical suffering, which we've talked about for several weeks, but the spiritual suffering of Christ. That he endured hell on earth for our redemption, the cross. So now we want to talk about the crown. The crown of glory that is promised because of Christ. And so our our kind of our little mini series from Tuesday and today is Cross and the Crown. Cross and Crown. Okay. our past hope that is point number one past hope hope is not something just future we don't think of just we have hope because of some future promise we also have a past hope something has happened in the past that gives us hope today so we see in our passage in john 14 verse 1 it says let not your hearts be troubled believe in god believe also in me why does jesus tell his disciples don't let your hearts be troubled what is he talking about well on Tuesday we we, we kind of talked through John uh, thirteen verses thirty three through thirty six Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going away that he's going to be leaving them before that he says in verse twenty one of chapter thirteen truly I tell you one of you will betray me in verse thirty three of chapter thirteen where I am going you cannot come verse thirty six of chapter thirteen where I am going you cannot follow me now. Verse thirty-eight of chapter thirteen: Truly, I tell you, a rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. He's talking to Peter that Peter's going to deny him three times. So therefore, the, tr- the disciples are troubled by all they've heard from Jesus. Some of us, one of us, is going to betray you. I wonder which one's going to betray you. Why would any of us betray you, of all people? You're meaning that you're going to go away. Where are you going? Why can't we follow? You mean Peter? Peter, one of your your inner three, is going to deny you? Peter, that's crazy. Why would he deny you? So it troubles them. It troubles them. These statements made by Jesus trouble his disciples. A man who they follow, they listen to, they love, they hoped in, and saying repeatedly that he's leaving them, they cannot follow. What did he tell Andrew and Peter to follow me? What did he tell Matthew to follow him? What did he tell Philip to follow him? Now he tells them they won't be able to follow him. He must go alone. He says one of them is going to betray him. He says Peter will deny him three times. The news is troubling. Would we, if we were in the same position, if we were one of these disciples and we had followed Jesus for three years and saw what he did and said what he said, would we not be filled with anxiety and fear if we were in their shoes? Will we not be drained of any hope or confidence about our future? He's abducting. I mean, he is leaving. He's he's abandoning his responsibilities. They may think he's lowering morale amongst the ranks with rumors of betrayal and desertion. Why is Jesus their king, emptying them of the hope and confidence built over three years of watching Jesus heal the blind, walk on water, feed the five thousand, claim the sea, calm the sea, and raise the dead? Why would he at this point? Empty them of all hope and confidence. Jesus, after stating his departure from them, betrayal by one of them, and Peter's eventual denials of him, he tells them, don't let your hearts be troubled. He tells them not to lose hope. Even though the sky is quickly darkening, heavy rain is falling, and the water is rising around them, Christ says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Why should I not be troubled, they may say. Shouldn't I be troubled? Shouldn't I be very worried about what you're telling me here? I mean, I, if, you're, if you're one of the disciples, you're like, I don't really like this plan. I'm not a big supporter of your plan here. I think we should talk about this. I think we should have a round uh, table discussion on your plan because I think it stinks. Where are you going? Why are you leaving? Why can't we follow Why, why, why makes us think. why am I blind? Why? This is what George Madison is probably saying. Why am I blind? Why is my sister leaving me? Why have you left me alone? Why have you brought me here? Why did you, why did he or she get the job over me? Why are my parents getting divorced? Why is there trouble in my marriage? Why did you make me the way that you have? Why is this your plan of all plans? My favorite prophet is Habakkuk, man. I read Habakkuk all the time. I'm always going back to that. It is quite short, so that may be one reason. Isaiah is really long. Jeremiah is really long. But Habakkuk is a good three three chapters long. But I like that he's outraged by God, right? If you've ever read it, go home and read it. He's just, he's outraged by God and his plan. He's fired up. His heart was troubled. He saw no reason or purpose for God's way. And what is he saying back at one thirteen? You talking about God, who are of pure eyes and to see evil, cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? He's like you could do whatever you wanted, you could solve all the problems, but you don't solve them. Why? The disciples were troubled. Their leader, their teacher, their master, their king and the lord was leaving them, and they did not know why. Why? He had a responsibility to win them victory over their enemies. They believed it was his father's will to bring them justice. Now he's giving up. He's quitting. What hope do they have now if he is gone? They may be thinking. But God provides a door of hope. Even in this trouble, even in this, this, this confusion and, and time of anxiety and fear, God provides a door of hope. And it was accomplished. His door of hope was accomplished in the most unexpected and miraculous way. What does Jesus say in verse 2 of chapter 14? I am going away to prepare a place for you. Christ is leaving his disciples because he is going to prepare a place for them. He is going to establish hope. His journey to the cross is a long and lonely road, but it leads to hope. He must leave. Now, hope was not established completely on Calvary. It wasn't established completely on the cross. The cross was taken from the cross, right? He was placed in a tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. He was, he was a disciple of Jesus, not one of the twelve, but a disciple of Jesus, followed Jesus. Nicodemus, who had a conversation with Jesus in John 3 about being born again, brought spices for his burial. It says, they buried him according to Jewish customs. He was placed in a new carved tomb in a garden nearby. Hope was believed to be gone. However, a better future was coming. The disciples thought hope was gone. After the crucifixion, they had no hope. They had no confidence. That's why they were hiding. They had no confidence. They had no hope. However, a better hope, a better future was coming. God's promise of righteousness and redemption was soon to come. The best hope is in God. Job 35.10. Who provides us with songs in the night but God? This night was one of the darkest nights of all. Yet God provides a sweet song, a melody in the night. So what happens? Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb early on Sunday morning, Easter morning. And she sees that the stone was moved from the front of the tomb. Later she sees a man outside the tomb Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was a gardener, she answered, Sir, if if you carried him away, tell me where where you put him, and I will take him away. Thinking that someone had taken the body, that Jesus was still dead, but just stolen and disturbed. Then Jesus said to her, Mary. Jesus says to her, Mary. She screamed. I think that she screamed. She may not have screamed, but I think that maybe she said, Teacher, really, really loud. You know, so surprised and so staggered, but also terrified that Jesus, who she saw crucified on the cross, is now alive. You would think she, like, you know, if you had books in her hand, you would throw them up in the air and you would scream, teacher. She goes running back to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. Jesus has risen from the grave. And if Jesus has risen from the grave, then nothing else matters, really, right? I mean, after that moment, when the disciples... Realize, and Mary realizes that Jesus has truly risen from the dead, nothing else mattered to those people. didn't matter. The Romans didn't matter to them. The Jewish leaders didn't matter to them. None of those things mattered because their Lord Jesus has conquered death. I mean, what else is there to worry about? I mean, Jesus was crucified, beaten, persecuted. Now he's alive. He's walking and talking and eating, and whoa, that changes everything. Nothing else matters. Death is no longer stronger. The curse has been defeated. The wages of sin is death, right? I mean, that's what Romans 3.23 says. The wages of sin is death, but Christ has just conquered death. Jesus Christ is stronger than death. God judged him for our sins on the cross. Now his foot just crushed the serpent. Genesis chapter 3. What a great image. He just, stamped on, he just stomped on Satan's head. Tim Keller wrote in his book, Reason for God, I always say to my skeptical secular friends that even if they can't believe in the resurrection, they should want it to be true. I not mean, that's an interesting statement. If you, I mean, even if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you, you want it to be true, right? The thought that Jesus, this loving person, this loving teacher who was mishandled by the Romans and handed over to be crucified and beaten, uh, which is proving injustice, rose from the dead, you want that to be true. If resurrection is true, hope is guaranteed. Hope is secure. You can't take hope to the, you can take hope to the bank. Death and sin has been defeated. What is there to worry about? What is there to be concerned about? Christ Jesus has risen from the dead. I wanted to tell a story about uh, Kara Tippett, who died of breast cancer in 2015. She wrote about her experience battling cancer at the end of her life. She says, my little body has grown tired of the battle, and the treatment is no longer helping. But what I see, what I know, what I have is Jesus. He has still given me breath, and with it, I pray I would live well and fade well. By degrees, doing both, living and dying, as I have moments left to live, I get to draw my people close, kiss them, continually speak love over their lives, and get to pray into eternity. My hopes and fears for the moments of my loves, I get to laugh and cry and wonder over heaven. I do not feel like I have the courage for this journey, but I have Jesus. And he will provide. He has given me so much to be grateful for. And that gratitude, that wandering over his love, will cover us all. And it will carry us. Carry us in ways we cannot comprehend. What a great sister. I've never met her. But what courage. Why does she have courage? Because she has Christ. And what about Christ gives her courage? Because he rose from the dead. She knows that she's dying of cancer because she knows death has no hold on her. Hope stands us up to its knees in the past and keeps its eyes on the future. There's a balm for every pain and medicine for every sorrow. The eye turned backwards to the cross and forward to tomorrow. Christ's death and resurrection is the medicine for our sorrow. When you look back on the redemptive work of Christ of the past, you will be filled with hope. You should be filled with hope. Hope that God loves you enough to save you through his sin, through his son. The past gives us hope today and tomorrow. If Christ did not die, if He did not raise again, we would have no hope. The past is very important in our understandings of hope. The second point is present hope. Past hope, present hope. What does Jesus say in verse 2? In my Father's house are many rooms. Christ is going to prepare a place for you in his father's house. He's going to be with his father, the God Almighty, Father God, the creator of all that is. Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, appeared to his disciples on a few occasions. He questioned Peter's love for him three times. That story about Peter and Jesus, and they had that discussion in John, where he's like, do you love me, Peter? And he's like, yes, I love you. And then feed my sheep, and then he says it again and again. see So Jesus appeared before uh, his disciples. He he questioned Peter's love for him and commissioned him to feed his his sheep. And then he was led out to the vicinity of Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. He ascended the right hand of the Father. Paul writes in Ephesians 1.20, He exercised His power in Christ by raising Him from the dead and seating Him at the right hand in the heavens. We can't just end with the resurrection. Jesus ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Paul also writes, Because of God's rich mercy and His great love for us, we were also made alive with Christ. We have been raised with Him and seated with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. You are now in Christ Jesus if you believe in Him. If you trust in His redemptive acts, you have looked to the past for your hope. But it doesn't end there. You're in Him now being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Sealed in Him with the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of your inheritance. Of your share in Christ's inheritance. A guarantee of your place in the Father's house. A signed note that Christ has prepared a place for you in the big house. That you have a place there. The Holy Spirit seals that. It guarantees that. It's a down payment of that. Not only was the, the Spirit gives you strength in your inner being and knowledge of Christ's love and filled with all the fullness of God right now, Today. Being filled with the fullness of God, you are now a new creation, it says. You are now brought by the blood of, bought by the blood of Christ. You are free in Christ now. His divine power has given you everything required for life and godliness. You've been given the Spirit of God. He is with you and will be with you. He is guiding you now. He is being conformed. You are being conformed in the image of Christ, Jesus, by the Spirit that dwells in you now. If you abide in Christ, you will bear fruits. You are bearing fruit if you abide in Christ. Everything that happens in your life now, you can be assured that God is using it for your good and His glory. It has great meaning and significance in what's happening in your life right now. God is using that through the Spirit of God to conform you to the image of Christ. To understand God better. To understand His knowledge and His love for you. So hope is not something that we just look to Christ. We look to the resurrection. We also that the Spirit of God dwells in us now, that we can experience hope right now. I have some pictures here. Um, it's funny though that you know I, I was reading this that children children's fears very similar to adult fears. So we got children are afraid of doctors they're afraid of shots. Uh, adults fear doctor bills. There's. Humans are, it doesn't matter if you're 2 years old or 35 years old, we still deal with fear. Yep, here's another one. Childhood fear, bad dreams, adult fear, unfulfilled dreams, unfulfilled significance and not getting that, that career that you always wanted, that dream job, those, that dream school, all those different things that we fear and cause us to be up at night and stay up at night. The last one's just kind of funny. Uh, there's one more. Uh, strangers, crippling social anxiety. How I many adults are afraid to talk to someone? Afraid to make a phone call? Children are afraid of strangers. But obviously, all people are afraid of clowns. <laughs> Everyone's afraid of clowns. I had a friend who was afraid of... Uh, never mind. Um... Meantime, in his beloved hands are ways, and on his heart the wandering heart at rest, and comfort for the weary one who lays his head upon his breast. Now, I have no idea what you're facing in life right now or what you will face. You don't either. You can control your life so much, but it doesn't matter. You can't keep things from happening or unexpected surprises. You could be the healthiest person in the world here, and you could still die at 50. You have no idea. You have no idea. You you do not have to fear God. You don't have to fear for God is with you. He has given you his spirit to empower you and to give you strength. There's a book that I read to our kids sometimes. and It's it kind of a children's book. On, and I give these to the children. We gave this to the children last year. We did our baby uh, dedications. But it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of a children's book on Psalms 23. And there's a, that part where the sheep is walking through the rain and the darkness by itself. And it says the shepherd is with you even when you're walking through darkness. And it's such a great thing for children to know that when, when the lights go off and the tendency children are afraid that God is with them. We tell, I tell Maggie because she's so much afraid of dark I said you know that God is everywhere that means God is here so therefore you don't have to be afraid what a great thing we understand that children understand that, can understand that but wh- why don't we not say the same thing to ourselves that God is with us we have hope right now we don't have to be afraid of tribulation or suffering or persecution because God is with us even when it rains even when it's dark he is with us the last point is Future hope. C.F.D. Mole pictured hope as faith on tippy toes. John Calvin compared faith and hope. Hope is the expectation of things that faith has believed to be truly promised by God. Thus, faith believes God to be truthful. Hope expects that He will show His His veracity at the opportune time. Faith believes God to be our Father. Hope expects that He will always act as such towards us. Faith believes the eternal life is to be given to us. Hope expects that it shall at some time be revealed. What does Jesus say in verse 3 of John 14? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am you may be also. Christ died, He resurrected, He ascended, He sent the Holy Spirit, and now He's preparing a place for you in the Father's house. In His Father's house are many rooms. God's house is sufficient for all that's a good little point there that oh he's got many rooms Okay, that's kind of cool no, no no that means he has enough rooms for everyone it's sufficient the disciples are like oh so we all can go it's not just like Peter, James and John like we all can be a part of this there's enough rooms for all of us there's enough rooms for all nations and all people I love Paul's comment on 1 Timothy where he says that Christ saved the worst of us the worst of sinners which I am First 1 Corinthians 1.15 there's room for those people too big enough for people from every nation the worst of sinners 1st Timothy 1 15 through 16 the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost but I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ may display his perfect patient as an example of those who are to believe in him for eternal life he has many rooms in his father's house Christ's salvation is sufficient for you and also you have the privilege of abiding in Christ and God's presence what a, pri- what a privilege access and knowledge of God himself through Christ Jesus he has prepared the means of heaven for you in the first communion this is interesting history in the first communion Christians of the early church were given in addition to bread and wine a cup of milk and honey as a foretaste of the heavenly food in which the blessed partake in the kingdom of God the future hope Hope also looks to the future, a future that we have yet to experience, the hope of heaven and the redemption of our bodies. The work of grace and the life of faith will yet be crowned with final glory and in respect and of that great hope that we were saved. We wait with hope in Christ's coming to bring us to himself and into his father's house. When we think of our eternal crown, our eyes should gaze to heaven, the future. Too often people tell Christians that they should think about their crown of glory. Now, that riches and health and wellness is what your blessing is. And brothers and sisters, that's not true. We are not immune to illness, sickness. That does not, when we have money in the bank, when we have health in our families, that does not mean that God loves you more than someone who does not have those things. When we think of our future hope, we gaze to heaven, a better country, a future that we have yet to experience. We wait with hope in Christ's coming to bring us to himself and into his father's house. When we think of our eternal crown, our eyes should gaze to heaven. Heaven is beyond our understanding, but not our comprehension. It will be amazing, astonishing, overwhelming, but it will not be strange, so David Calhoun says. Going to heaven will not be like going to a foreign country where we don't know the language, the customs, or the people. It would be like coming home after a long, perhaps not so long, journey into a distant land. It will feel right being there. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says in verse 6. Hope is in Christ. Hope not in yourself, but in Christ. Can we say that humans were created to love? The act of love is to give yourself over to another. When we think of Jesus Christ as the only way to God... Some of us struggle with that understanding. Some of us struggle with that idea. Jesus says, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Christ showed us what it means to be human. He showed us what it means to be our true self. He shows us what it means to be uh, people of this earth. Hence why we should follow him alone. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Timothy Keller also writes, Traditional religions say if I obey the rules, then God accepts me. Whereas Christianity says that because I believe in Christ who has done everything for me, he has died in my place and I am accepted and therefore I obey the rules. For Christians, the rules are not at the center. It's Christ. People get too bogged down and all oh, the devil's full of rules, 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 rules. Actually, it's full of the redemptive work of God for you. He loves you. He loves you. about rules it's about christ he is the way the truth and the life he brings us to father god who created us who gave us life who created us in his image he loves us he shows us how much he loves us by sending his son jesus i do not obey the rules to be loved by god I obey the rules because i am constrained by the love of christ for me so i trust and i'll believe one of the I, I, some of y'all may know this, but I've, I've been taking doctorate classes in Louisville, so I have to go, home, go to Louisville for a week, and then so I'm gone from home. There's, no, there's not an exciting time in driving home from that week because I'm tired. Uh, my mind is mush. And to be honest with you, I'm excited to be home with my family. And there's nothing better than walking home, like walking in the door. Your kids run at you. Your wife is there. Lisa's there. And everything's like, oh, gosh, I'm back. Like, thank goodness I've survived. I'm home. This is where I belong. I'm meant to live in a hotel room for a week by myself. First Corinthians 1, five: the hope reserved for you in heaven. I want you to ex- access the door of hope. I, Matt Castro, want you to access, access the door of hope. The Oxford Dictionary of the English language gives two meanings for the word of hope. Hope is to entertain expectations of something desired. When, we, when, when, when another definition is to trust and have confidence. Too often when we think of hope, we're thinking of something, some expected future that we don't know for sure will happen. But the Bible doesn't define it that way. The Bible defines hope as something that will happen. We can trust it and have confidence that it will happen. Are the hope reserved for you in heaven? You can trust that that is hope will come true. The application it's the same obligation God gives, Christ gives to his disciples in this passage. Believe in the Father and also believe in me. I want you to have confidence in the hope that's been prepared for you by Christ. I want you to have that hope. I want you to leave this, do- this church and say, I have hope. I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I have hope. Because I know that I am reserved a place in God's house, in God's family. I want you to have that trust and that confidence. But you have to believe. You have to trust in Christ. Faith is the application. Faith is the action point. Believe in the redemptive acts of Christ in the past. Believe in the spirit that has been sent by the Father and the Son to give you strength. Believe in the future hope of heaven and the resurrection. Hold tight to these actions and these promises. Climb the rainbow in the rain. Climb it. Hold tight to it. Like George Matheson. I talked about this on Tuesday, so I want to end with this. On Tuesday, I read from... Chronicles of Narnia and The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And so I want to read the end of The Dawn Trotter and Ripacheep the mouse, the valiant and courageous mouse, who to be honest, if you've seen the movie will be your favorite character in the, the movie. Mm-hmm. Not, not the children, not Caspian, but Ripacheep. He says that it's his heart's desire to be in Aslan's country. In Aslan's country, if you remember the story, Aslan's country is, is, is heaven. He desires to be in that country. Just, it, it consumes him. Of course, at the, end of the, at the end of the story, at the end of the movie or the book, he goes to Aslan's country. I want to read a little bit here. It says, and of course, as always does in a perfectly flat place without trees, it looks as if the sky came down to meet the grass in front of them. But as they went on, they got the strangest impression that here at last, the sky had really come down and joined the earth, and a blue wall, very bright but real and solid, more like grass than anything else. And soon they were quite sure of it, it was very near now. But between them and the foot of the sky, there was something so white on the green grass that even with their eagle's eyes, they could hardly look at it. They came on, and they saw that it was a lamb. Come and have breakfast, said the lamb with its sweet, milky voice. Then they noticed for the first time that there was a fire lit on the grass and fish roasting on it. They sat down and ate the fish, hungry now, for the first time for many days, and it was the most delicious food they'd ever tasted. "'Please, Lamb,' said Lucy, "'is this the way to Aslan's country?' "'Not for you,' said the Lamb. "'For you, the door into Aslan's country is from your own world.' "'What?' said Edmund. "'Is there a way into Aslan's, Aslan's country from our world, too?' There is a way into my country from all the world, said the Lamb. But as he spoke, his snowy white flushed into a tawny gold, and his size changed, and he was Aslan himself, towering above them and scattering light from his mane. Oh, Aslan, said Lucy, will you tell us now how to get into your country in your country, from our world? I shall be telling you all the time, said Aslan, but I will not tell you how, how long or short the way will be, only that it lies across the river. But do not fear... That, for I am the great bridge builder. And now, come, I will open the door in the sky and send you to your own land. I am the great bridge builder into my Father's house. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the great bridge builder. I love that passage in Hebrews 11. It talks about the saints who have died crazy deaths. It talks about their great faith, and it says that they wished for a better country. They desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Do you desire a better country? Is your hope being in the presence of your heavenly Father and with your Savior, Jesus Christ? You were made for heaven, not for earth. Seek it in Christ. He died, he rose again, he ascended to the right hand of the Father and he is interceding for you right now. He's coming back to take you to himself. Rejoice and trust in him. Trust in him. He is the way, the truth and the life. He is the great bridge builder. He has promised us his, a heavenly home, but you have to climb the rainbow. You have to hold tight to it. You can't just look at it and admire it, but to trust it. You can't just come to church once in a while and just, oh, this is nice. This is beautiful. It makes me feel comfy, comfortable. It, it's the truth and it's the hope. And if you don't believe it, you will not have it. You will not access it. But you must trust it. You must embrace it. You must love it. You must desire it. Do you desire it? Will you trust it? Will you believe? As the disciples who were tr- 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 troubled in their hearts, they looked at their, at their Savior and their Lord, and he says... Believe in my Father and also believe in me. That's how we are not troubled.